The big story has been real estate, the high prices, and mostly because of a lack of supply. Something we've seen all across the country, but especially here in Toronto. And a big part of this real estate story has been how difficult it's been for first-time buyers to enter the market. The average price for a home in Toronto, as reported by the Toronto Real Estate Board, is about $1.1 million. To get in at this price point, you'll need about 20% down, so that's like $200,000 for a down payment. And young people just don't have that type of money, but they're still buying. So how are they doing it? Well, a recent study showed that parents are paying a huge part in funding their children. In fact, last year, parents shelled out more than $8 billion to their children to help them buy a home. Yes, that's $8 billion with a B. So, have you owned your home for a long time and you have lots of equity in it? Have you been wondering how you can free up some of that money in your home to help your kids? Stand by. Today we're going to tell you how to do it. And you may be surprised about how many options you actually have. I'm Desmond Brown and welcome to Sold in the Six. Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending is my go-to guy for financing, and he's helped many people free up the equity in their homes so they can help their children get into the housing market. Jason, welcome back to Sold in the Six. Happy to be here, Des. Yeah, it's so great to have you back. So, Jason, my kids need to get into the real estate market. I've got all of this equity built up in my house. What do I do? Well, it's, you know, with the prices that we're seeing in Toronto today, it's, it's actually very, very common now to get uh, gifts from family to purchase a property. Uh, a lot of times, the money that parents have are uh, is not necessarily liquid, and they have to look at other means to get that money out of uh, real estate that they've probably done well on. So the most traditional way we, we look at this is a, a simple refinance um, of their existing uh, financing arrangement, or if it's a free and clear home, we look at an equity takeout, where they basically take a loan against their property in the form of a mortgage or a line of credit, and then gift that to their children to purchase a property. Okay, so we have a few options here, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the first one that you mentioned, the refinance, okay? Here I am, sitting in my home, paid off. It's worth $2 million. I want to free up 250, 300 grand to give to my kids or to give to one of my kids so uh, he or she can get into the real estate market. What's the first thing I would do? Well, you're back to applying for a mortgage just as you know you did many years ago probably to purchase that property. So um, you're going to need to demonstrate that you have the income to carry uh, a certain level of debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you're applying usually with a bank or a mortgage broker to kind of shop around to see what's out there. Um, and just like when you purchase a property, you have to make a decision on uh, whether you want to take a variable rate or a fixed rate on that mortgage and how long you want to amortize it over. Do you actually want to minimize the payments and, and keep a long amortization or is this something that you are looking to pay back fairly shortly um, and aggressively? Um, but basically, it's an application process. You are um, you're borrowing money and the equity in your home, even though you have a free and clear home at $2 million, is not enough to guarantee that the loan will be approved. 
approved. The government of Canada changed the rules about four or five years ago where you need to demonstrate that you have the means to pay it back. Um, So if you're on a a pension or uh, a limited income because you've retired, that can be factored into things in terms of getting approved for the loan. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about um, people who have all of this equity in their home, but they have no income. We'll get into that in a second. But mm-hmm. let's go back again. Let's stay on to this refinancing thing. So let's go through the process here. You know, so um, you have to get an appraiser to come in to appraise the home to start off with, right? Yeah. Usually you get the appraiser um, once the actual mortgage is approved. The first step is applying because um, people think that appraisers are transferable in terms of, you know, you just have to get any appraiser, but every bank has a list of appraisers that they use. Yeah, so correct. a TD appraiser isn't necessarily going to be okay with a, a Scotia appraiser. So usually you get the mortgage approved first and then the appraisal is the second step. Okay. So they get the, the appraisals done. And then um, once everything's approved, then of course this mortgage is now registered on title on your home. That's right. Right. Okay. So then, you know, like it's the same type of mortgage rates and terms and everything else that everybody else um, is looking for. If they were to go out there and actually purchase a home, that's what they're doing, right? That's right. Exactly right. The uh, There's a different set of rates in terms of, um, again, there was a government change about four or five years ago where refinance rates are slightly different than purchase rates. But for the most part, yeah. you're making a standard choice, whether you want a fixed rate, a variable rate, and the length of term, whether you want a two-year term, a five-year term, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, great. Okay. So I want to do this, but I'm retired. So I have, I'm on a fixed income now. Not a lot. We have out there what's called reverse mortgages. We hear a lot about this. You see Kurt Browning doing these commercials all the time for these, for these reverse mortgages. So tell us a little bit about the, the reverse mortgage and how that works. Okay. Uh, reverse mortgages kind of got a bad rap. People think that it's, it's banks trying to swindle uh, the elderly out of their homes, but that's not at, at all the case. Uh, a reverse mortgage is a product where uh, the lender realizes that you're on a limited income, so there's no payments actually associated with it. Interest that's charged on a, a reverse mortgage just gets added to the balance. They will never sell your home. They will never kick you out of your home. The idea is that you can stay in that home as long as you're able to. And then once you sell it, the equity will pay for the original loan amount and the interest that's accumulated, um, it's much easier to apply for. There aren't the standard uh, income limitations that come with a regular mortgage. So um, you can get a, a reverse mortgage based solely upon your age and the equity in your property. The interest rates are a little bit higher though than a line of credit if you want to go that route. And usually you set it up once. It's not something that uh, changes from you know, month to month or year to year. It's it's a facility that you set up once um, and whether you want to take recurring payments that come slowly to kind of, uh, you know, augment any retirement income you have or you take a lump sum as we discussed to, to give to family members or, you know, kind of a living will, that's up to you. Okay, so let's, let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into the reverse mortgage here. One of the key things that you mentioned there was that there are no monthly payments. So let's elaborate a little bit on that again. And just let's, let's just use this, you know, my house is worth $2 million. Um, I'm taking out a reverse mortgage for $500,000 on my house. And what and when or when did the, when, when does 
do you have to pay it off? Like when do you have to pay this this five hundred off? Sure. So in a traditional mortgage, it's amortizing, meaning that you're paying it back slowly over time. A reverse mortgage is not amortizing. In fact, it's increasing. The interest is is capped to the amount you owe. So with the example you just gave, uh, let's say you uh, take a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage and the interest rate would be. I'm just going to pick something out there, four percent. Um, so that's roughly twenty thousand dollars a year that you owe in terms of interest. Yeah. So after your first year, you would get a a, a check for uh, four hundred thousand initially when you took it the reverse mortgage, mm-hmm. and after your first year, you would owe four hundred twenty thousand. Um, but no payments were were necessary. You you could make a payment towards it, but the idea being that you know as uh, a re- retiree uh, with you know, on a limited income, you don't have to make a payment on it. So the balance is growing on the reverse mortgage uh, in the next year after, in our example, um, you know, the first year you owe 20000 and the second year would actually be a little bit more than that because now mm-hmm. they're charging you interest on the 520000 that you owe. Yeah, but I the see. idea is that with the equity home in your home growing, that is actually growing at a faster pace than the debt itself. So a lot... The- well, definitely over the last couple of years, for Absolutely, sure. and they use very, very conservative amounts when they determine whether you know the amount to lend and um, you know at what point and, and at what age they will give it to you. So the idea is that you're not actually you know there's no danger of the the loan growing to the size where it's eclipsing the, the value of the property or even getting anywhere close. Mm-hmm. Using a you know let's say three percent, which I think is a pretty conservative and it's actually very low uh, considering what's happened in the last few years. And your example. Um, if you have a $2 million home and it's growing at 3%, uh, it went, goes up $60,000 a year. Um, the interest on our example was $20,000. So yeah. even though you're in a reverse mortgage and you have no payments, your equity is still growing in the home based on pretty conservative uh, values for home appreciation. Appreciative value for sure. Yeah. Okay. So again, with a reverse mortgage, there's obviously what you just covered. There are no uh, payments. Is there a term on the mortgage at all? Uh, there is a term in terms of the interest rate. So you you would you would you would make uh, an agreement just like with a regular mortgage, saying for five years the interest rate will be this, or for three years the interest rate will be this. Um, but it's not um, a, a traditional type mortgage where you know you're you're shopping around after a few years. There's only a few providers of reverse mortgages in Canada, so we're, you're mm-hmm. really. And, and the costs to initially set it up are, are are significant. Usually, you know, where a regular mortgage, you're, you're just paying for an appraisal maybe and legal fees. A reverse mortgage is slightly higher, probably around three to $5,000 in terms of the initial setup fee. So the idea is you are ma- making a commitment on a term, um, but it's not the type of situation where usually after your term is up, you kind of scan the market to see what competing rates are. You would just be offered a renewal with that with that lender to uh, determine what the, the, the terms will be for the next few years. Okay, so you've been listening to this podcast and we've convinced you that it's time to free up that equity in your home and give a whack of that bread to your kids. Well, you should get in touch with the person who's my guest today, Jason Georgopoulos at Dominion Lending. Email Jason at jasong at dominionlending.ca and he'll help you get all of that equity out of your home to help your children buy their first home. Okay, so 
in essence, then what if people live for 20, 25 years, 30 years after taking out this reverse mortgage? So every three to five years, they just have to um, basically take the new rate that comes along. But it's it, does it go on infinitely? Yes, it can. Um, the... The government was actually um, one that was wanted to make sure that none of this type of lending was predatory, where you're, you know, have any sort of situation where you're, uh, the loan has grown to such a size that you're asking seniors to get out of their house, so you have to sell it, a real power of sale. So mm-hmm. the guarantee from all the reverse mortgage companies that are in business right now is that they will never sell your home. And again, based on the models that we have of conservative price appreciation, um, in most situations, the home is appreciating much faster than the loan is. Um, for that reason, you know you can't take a reverse mortgage for 80% of the value of your home. It's limited to usually you know 35% or 50%. And that is dependent on on your age. Okay. Um, if you're if you're 65 years old, there's going to be a lower loan to value than if you're 80 years old. Okay. Um, just based on on you know the the idea of of how long you're going to actually be in that property. Great. That's a key factor because when and you mentioned the 80 percent because when it comes to um, putting mortgages on your home or financing your home, the rule is that you can't finance more than 80 percent of what the actual appraised value of the home is. Correct. That's right. That's right. 80% is the maximum on a refinance and 65% is the maximum on a line of credit. And that's, again, based on government legislation. Um, a lot of people prefer a, a line of credit to the reverse mortgage where they can take money as necessary. And, yeah. um, you know, on a line of credit, the advantage of that is that the balance can go up and down, but it's harder to qualify for. The This is a situation where it's a traditional bank product and you need to show the income to carry the, the debt at the maximum level. So yeah, even if you're only planning on borrowing forty or 50000 now, if you want a $500,000 limit on that line of credit, you'll have to qualify for that. So uh, it's a little okay. bit you know, more difficult to qualify for that than a reverse mortgage, which is just based on your age and the equity in the property. Great. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about was the line of credit, because you have helped a couple of my clients who were looking for second homes, looking for income properties. And instead of uh, financing their home by putting a mortgage on it, um, and these are younger people who weren't interested in doing reverse mortgages at all, but they had a lot of equity in their houses after um, owning them for a few years, and they wanted to buy this second house, and you advised them, it's probably better, instead of going the mortgage route, let's go the home equity line of credit route. The line of, yeah. And and take the money out that way. So th- th- let's talk about that a little bit too. Sure. The, the line of credit can be an ideal situation because um, one of the advantages of, of the line, and, and it's a major advantage, is that, uh, again, it's not amortizing. It's not growing like a reverse mortgage does, but the minimum payment that you have to make is just an interest-only payment rather than with a traditional mortgage where you have to pay down the balance. Uh-huh. Um, and there's no limit on, uh, you know, after a certain amount of years, you have to pay down a certain portion of of it. You can leave it at the maximum if you'd like and just service the debt by paying an interest-only payment. So it's a minimum cost and it's at a pretty competitive interest rate. It's definitely better than a reverse mortgage. Um, and
and it's just slightly higher than a traditional mortgage product. But the advantage is that the balance can go up and down as you see fit. Uh, if you, you can pay it off at any time with no cost uh, and it's readvanceable, meaning that if you do decide to pay it down, you can take that money yeah. back again. Um, a great product, I think, if you're looking to help people get into the market, your children, um, because your carrying costs are smaller and your interest rate is competitive on it. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, uh, when you help one of my clients, I think the appraised value of their existing home was around 1.7. And the purchase price for their second property was, if I remember correctly, about 700000 So it fell within uh, the, the 65%. Of, uh, of taking out the line of credit on their existing home, they were able to buy the, the property for 700, basically, you know, without a mortgage, but it was, you know, um, leveraged from their, their uh, existing home. And it worked out really, really well for them because I think I sold that second house for them a couple years later, and they ended up um, gaining about $250,000, uh, $300,000 in equity by the time they had sold it. So even after paying commissions and legal fees, they were well uh, ahead of the game with it. It's it's a very popular product and the, the main reason being the cash flow aspect of it. Uh, it's harder and harder these days to purchase a secondary home uh, rental property where the numbers are working in your favor in terms of the rents uh, actually taking care of all the costs associated with it when you figure that you have to amortize a, a traditional mortgage. Um, on you know on a standard mortgage on a $2,000 payment, uh, $1,000 of it is interest and $1,000 is going towards just paying, um, um, sorry, paying down the actual loan itself. Uh, with a line of credit, you only have to pay the interest. So the numbers look a lot better. So if you're looking at investment properties, uh, a line of credit has been a very, very popular product because of the interest only aspect of it. Uh, you can hold on to that property um, in a in, and be in a better cash flow situation and then allow it to appreciate that way. Sure. And actually, I just referred one of my clients to you who was an employee for the uh, federal government. And he still receives uh, a pension from the federal government. And we are looking at whether to go for, you know, mortgage the house or, or go with the line of credit. You advise the line of credit based on the income because his income from the uh, from the pension would make it difficult for him to qualify for the traditional mortgage if he was to put the mortgage on his home. So we, you started leaning him towards, yeah, go for the HELOC. That's right. It's not always just about the interest rate. A traditional mortgage is going to come with a lower interest rate, but for most people, the you know their day to day is about cash flow. Mm -hmm. It's about the payments that they have to make. It's not necessarily what is um, you know what is the the cheapest option. Um, you know, if you're you're weighing a thousand dollar payment versus a two thousand dollar payment, uh, a lot of people are going to be more comfortable, and it allows them to achieve their goals with uh, without having to strain their their finances to do so. Um, so we recommend recommend lines, lines of credit pretty often uh, if, if um, you know, it makes sense in that person's uh, situation. But again, un 
unlike a reverse mortgage, you have to qualify for a line of credit. It's not a situation where it's an automatic approval just because you have a lot of mm-hmm. uh, equity in the equity home. Equity in the house, yeah. That's right. Uh, we usually say, you know, especially with people nearing retirement, that it's, you know, one of the last things you should probably do before you fully retire is set up a large line of credit. It doesn't cost you anything to have that line of credit if you're not using it. Uh, and it can be there to supplement uh, your retirement income uh, down the road if you need it. Because, uh, you know, we, we always say that the bank is the first to give you an umbrella and then take it away when it's raining. Yeah, um, that, that's you know, for we, sure. We definitely want to get you that umbrella before it starts raining. So obviously, uh, you know, while you're still working and you qualify, you know, setting up that line of credit is a good idea, whether it's a, for a gift for family uh, to purchase real estate or just to protect yourself in case unnecessary expenses come up in retirement. You know, and even for someone like me who's in commission sales and I don't get a regular paycheck, this line of credit that we have on our home has been my lifesaver just to be able to get through on a month-to-month basis before I get paid. So even if you're a little bit younger, like me, you know, it's a good idea to set up that line of credit on your home because you never know when you'll need the money. For sure. It's a lifestyle product for sure. Yeah. Okay. I hear this a lot from parents now is that I want to give my son 200000 let's say, let's say $200,000 to purchase a home. Um, however, I don't trust his wife. <laughs> I don't trust his partner. And how can I protect the money that I'm giving my son or daughter against this spouse who I don't like, basically? <laughs> And we, yeah. I'm sure you heard this, right? Because this oh, comes up quite a bit. All the all the time, all the time. And I've seen the results of this. I've seen um, a situation where, um, actually, it's come up, unfortunately, quite frequently, where uh, parents have given um, their their you know, their child, uh, a large gift, you know, um, I can remember a specific situation where they gave half a million dollars. And then in a few years, the, uh, the marriage broke down and they were selling the matrimonial home and 50% of the equity in the home is given to the spouse. And even though the parents, uh, gave the gift to their child, uh, the spouse was legally entitled to it and, and things get messy. Um, so in that case, uh, obviously I'm not, a lawyer you should always discuss these things with a lawyer but what you can do is register a lien on the property for the amount of the gift so this is just like a bank would register registers the mortgage on the property you would register a lien in second position to the bank so that uh, it doesn't affect your traditional financing your regular mortgage so that if that property is ever sold that amount has to be paid back um, it's it doesn't necessarily or usually wouldn't accumulate interest because it was a gift and it's given in in good faith so um, but for all intents and purposes it looks like a loan was given and okay. if that property sells in the event again of uh, of the marriage uh, being dissolved uh, the that amount would have to be paid back when the property sold and it would have to be paid back to the parents. And at that point, they could decide whether they're going to give that uh, amount to their 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 child or, or keep that money, but it protects them. Uh, it allows them to give the gift so that uh, the, their, their child could get into that property, but protects them in the case that the marriage does uh, not work out, that they're not giving money to someone that they uh, you know didn't intend it for. Okay, so matrimonial home, this is a whole other legal topic, but 
the matrimonial home came into effect as a result of what was called the way back called the Family Law Reform Act. And it was, in essence, to protect the spouse who was in the home. And in most cases, it was the woman, the woman who was the housewife, the woman who was at home looking after everything, uh, doing all the meals, you know, yep. typical or traditional housewife stuff. And then all of a sudden, husband comes home one day and says, it's over, honey. I'm leaving you for uh, my secretary. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm. And the woman at home would be left with nothing. So until this um, law came into place, and I'm not sure when it came in. I think it was sometime in the, in the uh, late 60s or in the 70s. Um, a lot of spouses, usually the women, were left without nothing when their husband broke up with them. So that's why the matrimonial home is in place right now to protect that spouse who may not have the same financial means um, at the end of the day if, if the marriage does break up and they are entitled to half of the house. That's right. Right. So you're hearing this a lot. And also I get a lot of questions about this too. This is for another day. I know we'll talk to, about maybe to Gary Cass again or one of my lawyers about the legalities of all of this. But I get asked this all the time. I've been with my partner for 20 years and I moved into his home 20 years ago that he had bought and it's in his name. What am I entitled to now that we're breaking up? And the short answer is nothing. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right? It is yep. nothing. It's, it is because you're not married. So that piece of paper goes a long way. I mean, there are some exceptions yeah. through all of this, uh, but generally speaking, that's the short yeah. answer. You have to be married to be eligible for that matrimonial home. I think it was the founder of, uh, it was a Supreme Court case that happened in the last few years. Uh, and I think it was the founder of uh, Cirque du Soleil, or it was a major, major company. You know, we're talking billions here. And for all intents and purposes, he lived with his 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 you know, uh, partner, uh, you know, they lived as a married couple for a long time, but they never actually got married. And the Supreme Court decided that, you know, no, it's different. And you, if you are not married, um, that's, you know, it's not the same. It, it, it makes a difference in terms of the division of assets and what you're entitled to. Um, so as much as people, you know, say, well, maybe marriage is a little bit old-fashioned and you know this is how we we choose to live and you know we don't need a piece of paper to kind of dictate our relationship um the courts very much still look at it as you know in a, as a legal uh -huh. contract that the two people are making and uh you know they've they've ruled in, in that time and time again so again always discuss this type of thing with a lawyer um but again there there's there's ways to protect all parties and and there's you know it, it, a lot of times people don't want to discuss this but better discuss it up front when you're purchasing a property yeah. uh, rather than have it be a problem down the road. Yeah, I just did a deal where, uh, again, it was a similar situation where the parents were giving a gift and they wanted to protect themselves in case the um, 
the marriage didn't work out. And what they did is they 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 put a lien on the property to protect their gift, but they automatically amortized it over ten years, meaning that every year that went by, uh, it the amount the 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 balance of the lien decreased by ten percent. So it was kind of like if you stay married, this money is yours, and we we're not trying to you know if things don't work out in ten years, well you know you've kind of at that point the gift is is yours. It's amortized. Exactly. You 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 paid your dues. <laughs> you've earned in that it. Marriage, you've right? earned it. You, you've <laughs> yeah. stuck. You stuck with my lousy son for ten years, so you, uh, <laughs> you you can have half the gift. But again, that was something that they worked out, and everybody was happy with that situation because it wasn't necessarily um, you know that they wanted this money back. They just wanted to make sure that you know if six months from now you know the marriage didn't work out that they weren't giving two hundred fifty thousand to a complete stranger. Wow. Okay. So. In the introduction, I mentioned that $8 billion was gifted to, from parents to children to buy homes last year, about $8 billion. Now, the reason people are doing this, these are basically boomers that are doing this, um, they want to see their children enjoy the fruits of their labor, the, the, the fruits of their lives from the equity that they've built up in their homes or whatever else, uh, however else they, they built up their fortune. So a lot of people are not waiting um, until they pass away to, to give these gifts to their children. They're, they're living through all of this and they're really enjoying watching their children benefit from what they had in their lives. Um, there are some experts out there that are advising against this. And actually, we've even seen grandparents helping uh, their, their, their grandchildren in this way as well. But there are some experts out there advising against this. Um, what are some of the, I, I, we may have covered them already, but are there any other risks involved? Well, I think one of the things that's that's not discussed right now is we're living in a time of historically low interest rates. Um, any way you look at this, when you're pulling equity out of your property, you are borrowing it. Um, it regardless of what you do with that money, whether it's a gift to your child uh, or whether you're using it for your own uh, purposes, that is a loan and it has an interest rate associated with it. Um, you know, a good, you know, a line of credit we can do right now at still under three percent. You know, between let's say two and a half and three percent is is a good secured line of credit rate, and that's still historically a very very low interest rate. Uh, there's economists out there this year alone that are predicting you know four or five uh, increases in the prime rate of a quarter point each. Um, these amounts that you have to pay to service this debt. That, you know, you might sign up for, you know, a few hundred dollars a month per hundred thousand, but that can change in, in an interest rate environment um, where, you know, you have no plans to ever pay off this debt and amortize it and you just want to service it. Those payments can get burdensome and you're on the hook for that. So it, I think it's definitely something that you need to take into account that, you know, maybe the this will, will cost me more than I'm planning right now. And it's all well and good. Uh, it's great. I think the idea of a, a kind of a living will to, so you can actually see the, you know, your, your child enjoy, um, you know, and take advantage of, of, you know, your gains while you're still alive. I, I you know, I, I personally love that idea, but you definitely have to take into the, uh, into account that the cost of it and that that cost can fluctuate. This is a large amount of money that you're borrowing and you are on the hook for it. And you don't want to be in a situation where you have to sell your property um, ahead of when you would normally do that because the interest costs and the mortgage payments on the loan that you took out become too burdensome. Yeah. But also the parents can also set up the title 
in such a way that they get a percentage of that title. They actually, the title of the, the property that their, their child is buying, that they can actually go on title at a certain percentage, correct? Absolutely. So that's um, another way of protecting their investment. Yep. They can, they can definitely purchase that with, uh, with their child jointly. Um, talk to the, I, again, I would recommend them to speak to a lawyer about how, how to do that, whether it's a certain percentage of the home that they own or whether it's a traditional kind of co-signing arrangement where, um, you know, the, everyone owns 100% of the property, um, different ways to set that up. But that, again, that's a that's a, an extra, um, it's an extra layer of protection. The only issue around that becomes if uh, by chance and unfortunately the, the parent does pass away and they're on title, um, it becomes a difficult or at least it, there's a procedure involved to, it's not as simple as showing a death certificate to a lawyer at the bank to remove them from title. Uh, the, the property is now an asset of theirs and it's involved in the whole uh, the will probate, probate, et cetera, yeah, exactly. et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So they have to be, you know, uh, planning on, on on what happens in that event. Okay. Um, so we've, we've covered a number of ways of being able to free that money up from your home to, to help your, your kids. Or, or did we miss anything? No, I, 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 I don't think we did. Um, now, of course, you know, the banks are in business to make money. There are costs associated with all this. Yeah. Uh, usually about $1,000 to pay a lawyer to to set things up. And an appraisal can range anywhere from $300 to $600 now. And it's an important part of this process. Um, so you're probably looking at, you know, I would say plan on around $2,000 to set this up. But probably, you know, if, you, if this is something that you're interested in doing, um, banks usually, let's say two or three times a year, will have a special where they will cover these costs for you. Oh, that's nice. Where they will, will pay. Yeah. Um, it's not all the time. It's definitely not a program that they, they kind of want to advertise that they'll do. But, uh, at you know, picking the right place in time, if they're in no hurry to do this, you can usually get a lot of those setup fees covered. And again, this is the type of thing that you want to set up in advance um, because uh, things do come up in any sort of mortgage application and uh, things take time, especially with how busy the banks are right now. Um, you're probably looking from application point to money in your hand of about a month. Um, and I would say, you know, often it goes to six weeks, mm -hmm. giving the appraiser, your lawyer, everybody enough time to do their thing. So um, if, you know, you have a child that's in need of those funds because they're about to purchase a property, yeah, do it early. Um, it, it'd be great to have it already set up so that, you know, it's just, it's just a trip to the bank to, to get a draft rather than uh, the full application process. Right. And to find out about those special deals that the banks offer, you'll be able to help them, obviously, Jason. I mean, that's why you want to go through a mortgage broker because mortgage brokers, mortgage agents have access to 30 lenders. They know the best deal that each of these lenders is offering at any given time. By law, we do our best and, and, and we have a duty to our clients to find them the best deal out there. So, uh, yes, this is absolutely something where we're not just taking the, the bank's offers at face value. We're shopping amongst them and we're advising clients on whether uh, a line of credit, a traditional mortgage or a reverse mortgage makes more sense in their situation. And I think a good part, part of my job is just giving the pros and cons mm -hmm. of each because we're not acting on behalf of a lender in terms of trying to sell something. Uh, we have the freedom to just say, you know, there's there's nothing new under the sun, I like to say. You know, there's always trade-offs. And uh, it's just about informing the client of the pros and cons, so everything's up front, and then letting them make it, the decision on what's best for their particular situation. Okay, fantastic. Well, I, guess, I think we've covered, it, we've covered it all. So look, 
you, you're sitting on a whack of bread in your house. You want to free it up for your kids, your grandchildren. Get in touch with Jason. You can email him at jasong at dominionlending.ca. Jason, thanks very much for joining me again. It was a pleasure, Des. Thanks for having me. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. Very interesting topic, wasn't it? Let's free that equity up to help your kids. I'd like to thank my producers at Podcast at Pop, Steve Kassar and Doug Downs. And if you love this episode, please leave a rating and a review and share this podcast with at least one of your friends. If you need to get in touch with me, you can email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. Check out my website, in the six realestate.ca. That's six spelt with the number six, ix.ca. Until next time, I'm Desmond Brown. <laughs>